Welcome to your new favorite bookish podcast, Fully Booked and Caffeinated. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Heather. And today we will be discussing Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. As usual, let's talk about our fuel for this discussion. What are you drinking this morning, Heather? Um, This morning, I actually made my own coffee. Shocking. I know. Okay. I made just a normal coffee pod with the Chobani sweet cream creamer. But what's great is that it's in my fa la 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 llama mug because I am officially in Christmas mode. (laughs) You're in full Christmas mode. I've been watching Hallmark movies every day. We're decorating for Christmas today. Everything's great. Wait, did you see that there's a Lifetime movie? I just saw the trailer for it with Chris Shell from Selling Sunset. No. But it's like a Lifetime movie. Like, you know, like they're, are they considered scary? You know what I mean? Like (laughs) a stalker cult or something. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And it's so funny because in the preview, she's pregnant, which like Chris Shell being pregnant. That's never. That's a storyline on its own. But some cult wants to like steal her baby or something. I can't wait to watch it. I'm very excited. It's not a Christmas movie. Okay, I was wait. I was like, wait, where's the Christmas? Oh, Mark just made me think of Lifetime movies. I'm sorry, I spiraled. Understood now. (laughs) Anyway, so I'll be watching that. You'll be watching Hallmark's movies. Exactly. Okay. Anywho. This morning, I got my usual blonde latte from Starbucks, but I have toffee nut syrup and gingerbread syrup. Ooh, how is Starbucks gingerbread? I don't know how it is on its own because like the toffee nut is so strong, but it tastes really good together. So I'm assuming that it's delicious, but I I haven't tried one of the um, like the gingerbread lattes yet or anything. So I will tell you to not get the gingerbread chai latte from Dunkin' Donuts. Not good. Okay. That doesn't surprise me. No. I don't like to get too wild there. Yeah. I was like, ooh, this sounds festive and yummy. Let me try it. Took I had like two sips and I threw it out. But it was free because okay. Duncan had one of their rewards for this month was free chai latte with an order. So I tried oh, okay. it. So it didn't cost me anything. So I'm not mad about it. But yeah, it wasn't But gingerbread good. is like, if it tastes too gingerbready, it's mm-hmm. not good. It was you know actually... What I mean? And I don't think I like Duncan's chai. I think Duncan's chai tastes a little bit. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I do love Starbucks chai, though. I think I would like their gingerbread chai latte, but I don't like. Yeah. Duncan's I would shy away from. I'm going to start embracing more holiday drinks when I get back from Florida because it's going to be 85 degrees. It's going to be like late spring there. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm not ready to fully embrace the holidays till I come back. All right, so cheers. Cheers. Okay, so let's talk about our author, Delia Owens. I was actually very excited to research her. So she's a zoologist. She has a PhD in animal behavior, and she met her now ex-husband, Mark, in grad school, where they were both studying biology. And after they graduated, they moved to Africa to study animals. She's written several memoirs about her time in Africa, but I know you want to hear about the juicy stuff. No, I want to hear about the juicy stuff. Well, here we go. So the couple (laughs) were expelled from Botswana and are wanted for questioning in relation to a murder investigation. So basically, we know this because this made headlines recently that Mm -hmm. the author of this book is wanted for murder and blah, blah, blah. But here's the actual story. So basically, their work in Zambia originally was somewhat admirable, albeit a white savior type story. But that's another issue we don't have time to get into. So they're conservationists, and they were working to reduce the poaching of elephants by helping poachers earn a living doing other things instead. So they would basically give them training and other things that they can make their careers other ways. Okay. But here's the deal with the murder investigation and where those good intentions turned bad. So Mark, her former husband, basically decided the only way to get rid of poachers who couldn't be redirected to different careers was to kill them. Oh. So he militarized a group of scouts whom he bribed with money and weapons to do his bidding. And his son, Christopher, was in charge of their training and their discipline. So ABC News had video evidence of a poacher being killed in Zambia, allegedly by 
Christopher, who's Delia's stepson. So no charges were ever brought against the family. And they don't believe that Delia herself is a suspect, but they do believe that she is the number one witness and possibly a co-conspirator. That's fucking wild. Yeah. And the video is literally someone being shot like execution style on video. Oh, don't like because that. he was accused of being a poacher. So obviously Delia denies the incident, says it never happened. It, she wasn't involved, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of people have made a correlation between the main character in this novel and Delia based on alleged accusations and being misunderstood and blah, 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 blah. Interesting. Yeah. So that's the deal. She didn't actually murder anyone, but it sounds like this... There's- it's a little murky. There's some stuff. Exactly. And they are, even if it wasn't on video, they are responsible for the deaths of other people. Yeah. Poachers, you know, whatever. So all of that being said, Delia Owens made her fiction debut at 70 years old with this book. And it is a worldwide phenomenon. Huge, huge, <laughs> huge success. It's historical fiction, also classified as mystery and romance, but those seem like a big stretch for me. Mm. But it is one of the best-selling books of all time. As of April 2023, which is like several months ago, it has sold over 18 million copies. Wow. Like, what? This book also has a staggering 2.7 million ratings on Goodreads. And that's only people who use Goodreads and leave ratings. Like, that is absolutely insane. Exactly. I can only imagine how many other people actually read it and everything. Have read it, yeah. Um, It was a Reese Witherspoon book club pick back in 2018 when it was originally published, and the movie adaptation was released in July 2022. So we won't be talking about the movie adaptation today, but we will be discussing it on our month-end episode. So tune in then to hear our thoughts on the movie. So from Goodreads, here's our book summary, (laughs) as always, where the uh, 2.7 million ratings are. Here is our book summary. For years, rumors of the Marsh Girl haunted Barkley Cove, a quiet fishing village. Kaya Clark is barefoot and wild, unfit for polite society. So in late 1969, when the popular Chase Andrews is found dead, locals immediately suspect her. But Kaya is not what they say. A born naturalist with just one day of school, she takes life's lessons from the land, learning the real ways of the world from the dishonest signals of fireflies. But while she has the skills to live in solitude forever, the time comes when she she yearns to be touched and loved. Drawn to two young men from town who are each intrigued by her wild beauty, Kaya opens herself to a new and startling world until the unthinkable happens. What do you think of this blurb? It does make it sound like a romance. It does. It absolutely does. Okay, so let's get into it. This book is told in dual timelines, but I actually really like how it's told because the then catches up with the now as mm-hmm. you read. So by the time you get to the end, you're fully in the now. Yes. And there's no flipping back I and agree forth. with that. You're not like, yeah, that's, it's a little bit more staggered. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that. I like when it catches up with, when it's not like, you know, 30 years before or something. Mm-hmm. So we start out in... 1950s North Carolina. Kaya is the youngest of five children, but her closest sibling is seven years older. So she's much, much younger than her siblings. Within a few weeks, her mom and four siblings all leave because her father is abusive. Just just dip. Just leave her. And she's like six at this point. Yeah. When they all start leaving. As Kaya slowly comes to terms with the fact that the rest of her family has abandoned her, she starts bonding with her dad because that's the only interaction that she has with another human. And so even though he's a drinker and he's temperamental and he's obviously abusive, she is desperate for any shred of attention or acceptance from him. I mean, who wouldn't be? You're a little girl. What do you, all you want to do is have attention when you're that age. Mm -hmm. Even if it's from a dad who you know drove away the rest of your family, every single day she sits at the front door waiting for her mom to come back. Depressing. I can't. It's actually heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So she starts bonding with her dad by going out fishing. And once she starts showing interest in fishing, he kind of gives her the time of day and starts taking her out and teaching her, you know, teaching her some things. So they're treated horribly by the people in the town. 
They're referred to as swamp trash because they live in a shack at the end of the marsh. So things are going. Not great, but they're going. And then when she's 10, her dad leaves and she has to learn to survive on her own. 10 years old. Unbelievable. Yeah, think so about- I was just literally, I was just going to say unbelievable. And think about how self-sufficient you were at 10 years old. So that's fifth grade. No, no. No, I mean, yeah, my sister was born when I was 10 years old. And I remember being afraid to hold her. So I can't even imagine being like a kid on my own in like that the doesn't marsh. Count because I'm 33 and I'm scared to hold your daughter because <laughs> she is too small and precious. But she's growing. She's growing. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like. 10 years old. It's insane. So she starts hustling. She's she's basically got to start the grind to keep herself alive. She's got no money. Mm-hmm. She's got nothing. It's not like her dad left her with anything besides a boat. So she starts digging up mussels and selling them for boat gas and cash. And this is where she meets Jumpin, who is the man who works at the boat gas station. And he also has like a little shop that sells things to survive you know what i think I mean? it's kind of like the epitome of like a convenience store yes exactly i was like it's not a deli no or a it's bodega like, it's, like a, it's like a little store. yeah yeah like a like a or quick like, check or like, but yeah, a, like a gas a boat station quick check kind of like store exactly but you can obviously dock up there with your boat mm-hmm. fill up your boat gas and buy fishing stuff there too so jumpin and his wife mabel are a black couple. They give her clothing and food for trade, and Mabel helps her with her first bra and her period. Mm, I love because that. Kaya does not know what's happening to her. And I'm mentioning the, the fact that they were a black couple because this is in the 50s in North Carolina, and segregation was very much alive. Mm-hmm. So we do get a couple instances of you know segregation and of. Abuse and racism and all of that. But Kaya doesn't even consider that really. And neither does Jumpin, which Mm -hmm. is surprising. I mean, Kaya is on the outskirts of society, so no one's really concerned with what she's doing. But Jumpin and Mabel do not think twice. Like they immediately are ready to help her. They give her way more money than the things that she's bringing them are worth. They give her, you know, extra food, extra clothes. They teach her how to garden. I mean, they really are keeping her alive in these first couple of years after her yeah. dad leaves. So then we meet Tate, a friend of her older brother, Jody, who sees, sees her in the marsh one day and decides he's going to teach her to read. This is honestly so precious. It is. There's a part where he teaches her to read her first complete sentence and the sentence is there are some who can live without wild things and some who cannot and kaya is taken aback she says i wasn't aware that words could hold so much i didn't know a sentence could be so full and this is where her love of learning really starts first it's words and reading and then she learns to write Mm -hmm. and then it's poetry and then she combines that with her skill at drawing and painting which her mom had used to buy her uh, paints and stuff like that so that she could draw and she starts to compile these detailed collections of nature from the marsh meanwhile tate has these complicated feelings about her because he misses they're spending a lot of time together because he's teaching her how to read and he's so like not appreciative but when she learns something new he's so proud yeah like when he sees like, her like yeah. understanding it's, it's, like it. an, it's like an accomplishment for her so it makes him feel good because exactly he's making her learn when mm-hmm. she never had the ability to before And he sees how much she loves it. Like, it's not just Mm -hmm. like she's learning to read and he's like, okay, good job. But he's like, he sees how it's like transforming her life. Yeah. So his feelings are complicated because he misses his sister who died tragically, but he also has a crush on Kaya and he's protective when he hears the boys in town talking about the Marsh girl. So he's like, do I like her because I like her? Do I like her because I miss my sister? Like, it's just kind of, he's conflicted. But then he kisses her one day and now she's his girlfriend. (laughs) Simple as that. No. (laughs) We don't have this uh, situationships, okay? No. boyfriend and girlfriend. Yeah, immediately. So... They continue like this, spending a lot of time together. And when Kaya is 15, 
and Tate is 19, he goes away to college for biology, which seems like a really big deal. Yeah. That he's able to go away to college, especially for something like Mm -hmm. biology. And it seems like most people in this town get stuck in this town and they don't leave. So once Tate experiences the world outside the marsh, he realizes that Kaya would never survive out there. And even though he promised her that he would come right back, Mm -hmm. he ghosts her. Hardcore ghosts her. Ghosts her. She's waiting for him every day for weeks and i hated this because i thought it was so uncharacteristic of i him. agree like it just didn't fit it didn't fit at all like i can understand that maybe he thinks that she wouldn't like survive but i can't see him not like at least coming back to her and being like you know we like need time like mm-hmm. i need to get get through college but i'll like i'll still come back to you but he was just like Nah, I'm a dip. Didn't even, yeah, didn't even give her a conversation. And also, I feel like all of the things that he learned in college, I feel like he would have been so excited to show Mm -hmm. those things to Kaya and to teach her all these new things. So I was like, this just doesn't, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't fit. But we needed Tate out of the way to make room for Chase. So Chase is the popular boy in town. He takes Kaya for a picnic. And they have a good time, but it turns out he's just trying to fuck. And after they eat, he makes a move on her and she freaks out. And it's really obvious that her relationship with Tate taught her emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. because she saw her and Tate as a give and take in their relationship. Absolutely. But with Chase, he clearly just wants to be the first one to sleep with the Marsh girl. Like he wants to conquer her. Yeah. And he, which is disgusting. It's like she's this trophy and he's working so hard. He plays a long game, hardcore, and it was disgusting. And I was shocked that he was really playing the long game because we get the idea that all the boys in town, you know, there's so much gossip and rumors about the Marsh girl and like who would be the first to to get with her and to sleep with her and stuff because even though they call her trash and dirty and all this stuff like she's gorgeous she's wild looking she has this like just this different look to her than the other girls in town which little sidebar we'll talk about this more too as when we talk about like the review of the book but i don't understand how the author can make her make her seem like this beauty when she lives in a marsh i'm confused as to how she's like how does she bathe herself how does she do you know it's yeah like because she doesn't even get (laughs) she doesn't even get a tub until she gets money later on in the book yeah i mean i understand how she could have beautiful hair because she's probably just using her her hands to comb it i don't know they talk about her beautiful untamed Mm -hmm. wild black hair which i'm like okay that i can get behind and then obviously she has like beautifully tanned skin because she spends all of her time outside but yeah i agree they also talk about how she's like dirty all the time i know like she's not brushing her teeth it's i know it's very there's like two sides to the coin and they don't match up exactly yeah so like you said Chase is playing the long game. He claims that he's falling in love with Kaya. And once she forgives him for their first interaction, they start spending a lot of time together. But he's still seeing a lot of other girls and she doesn't know what his life in town is like. She only knows what it's like when they're together. But in town, he's still the quarterback, the most popular guy sleeping with all these different girls. And she has no idea about any of that. Now, a few years later, Tate is about to graduate with his PhD, and now he wants to tell Kaya he's still in love with her. Now, honey, (laughs) honey. Okay. But when he goes to her beach to see her, because she has this little beach outside of her house that they call her beach, he sees her with Chase. And he's like, this is weird. And we're Mm -hmm. all like, yes, we agree, Tate. It is fucking weird. And he finally works up the nerve and goes to speak with her. But she knows that she can't trust him. There's a quote I want to read. This is right after Tate finally apologizes, like five years too late. But okay. Kaya says, Tate was more than her first love. 
He shared her devotion to the marsh, had taught her how to read, and was the only connection, however small, to her vanished family. He was a page of time, a clipping pasted in a scrapbook because it was all she had. It's so true. And this was one thing I like about one of the things I liked, like, I liked about the book is the eloquent way that the author would describe some things. It was definitely, especially the visuals of the nature and everything were beautiful. But the way that she describes Kaya's feelings mm-hmm. were really, really well written. And it really yeah. like brought you to it like made you feel for her and f- try to experience what she's going through. I totally agree with that. And it's also in an even deeper way. It's like, even though she hasn't been around many people, and even though she grew up on her own, all of these feelings are instinctual. Like Uh these are human emotions that even, even she is able to define. Like that emotional intelligence has developed because of human nature, not because of relationships with other people or because her family taught her or anything like that. She was literally raised by like the wild, but the wild in the sense of a marsh wild, not like you know, wolves, wild, wild, you know, like she was raised by gulls, (laughs) not wolves. Exactly. (laughs) Also, where are the alligators and crocodiles? Because we never really talk about predators besides like bears. And I'm like, girl, I have a feeling there's crocodiles out there, but that's besides the point. (laughs) So it's kind of crazy how we see Kaya's loss of trust deepen as the story continues. Towards the beginning, she would have forgiven every member of her family, including her father, if they had come back after Mm -hmm. abandoning her. She would have welcomed them back with open arms. And as she gets older and she's hardened, she's not ready to forgive and forget anymore. And so she doesn't go back to Tate and she stays with chase with in quotations because with is yeah basically chase is awful yeah he promises kaya marriage and a future but makes excuses about her not meeting his friends or his family or being seen town seen in town with him and shocker he's a selfish lover tate would never no tate would never so for his birthday kaya saves up and plans to bake him a cake but when she goes to buy the ingredients, she sees the wedding announcement in the paper of Chase being engaged to another girl from town. Definition it's of just, scumbag. It's just so satisfying when someone turns out to be exactly how you knew they would turn out oh, to be. You know? I hated this character with a burning passion. and 100%. Oh, I'll, I'll get to it later, but I just did oh, not yeah. like him. Yeah. So now Kaya has really been abandoned by literally everyone she's ever had in her life. And throughout the whole book, the writer explains Kaya's physical pain of her loneliness and acknowledges that even though she knows better than to let someone in, the loneliness keeps tricking her into trusting new people. I mean, she had in her gut from the moment she met Chase that he was not a good dude, but she missed Tate so much. She longed for that Mm. physical affection, that connection. And she even, there's a couple times during the relationship where she acknowledges that she's losing parts of herself. Like there was one part where she, she said something like, I laughed to make him feel better. Or I laughed because I knew he wanted me to. And that was the first time I'd given away a part of myself. And it's just sad. Like she's so desperate. Yeah. For that, not even just affection, but just attention in general. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And who can blame her? Yeah. And not only that, but Kaya is extremely misunderstood. So the two boys who get involved with her are drawn to her because she's wild and unexpected and different from anything that they know. The other people in town think she's dirty. They won't even associate with her when she does go into town. And also, everyone assumes that she's stupid because she never went to school. Mm-hmm. But it turns out she's extremely intelligent. So she's, intelligent. She's like a she's prodigy. To, to, basically, to basically be raised in poverty and not even have the experience of school because she did go for that one day and then she was harassed. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, fuck this. And Mm -hmm. even before she met Tate, like, she was still, like, learning through nature about a lot. She was still self-sufficient. Like, what? How old was she? Like, 10 years? Like, what 10-year-old would know to, like, 
pull muscles to go like like she was so savvy and smart for such a mm-hmm. young age and she because she basically had to raise herself yeah and so yeah. when she does start learning with tate i'm not even remotely surprised that the author made her catch on so quickly yeah because she clearly has this intelligence yeah and even though he taught her how to read and he would bring her the biology books and all that stuff mm-hmm. once he taught her the fundamentals she was self-taught. Like when he went away to college, she went through those textbooks, learned so mm-hmm. much more. She she started connecting all the things she knew because she knew about the marsh. She knew about the things that grew there, the animals, all these things, but she started actually connecting them. Oh, wait, they have a scientific name and they're, they only grow in this region and not mm-hmm. this region. And they feed these kind of animals. Like she was able to connect all of these things that she already knew, but she didn't realize, oh, wait, this is, this is actually something, you Mm -hmm. know, this isn't just living in the marsh. So she's extremely intelligent when it comes to biology and zoology. And Tate helps her get a book published. Mm -hmm. She has the letters sent to her shack at the end of the marsh about publishing her book. By the way, when they mentioned she had a mailbox, I was shook because I did not think she would have a mailbox. But also that it's like so far away because the postal worker won't come, like won't drive. He's like, "Mm, I can't drive in the marsh, like I'll get stuck. So it's literally was, like a mile for away. For whatever reason, when I'm thinking that like, she lives in the marsh, I'm like, okay, so they're just not even a part of like civilization. Like there's uh-huh. no, there's no connection to the, like the world. And then when she says she's a mailbox, I'm like, oh shit, like that wasn't, then, yeah, that wasn't even in like, my mind. An actual mailbox, like on the stick with the yes. little red flag yes, on it. Absolutely. Like, and she's like, <laughs> gotta go check my mail when it's probably like some wooden thing, like carved out of a tree. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so. This turns into multiple books being published. Yeah. How freaking wild. I know. And they're all biology and zoology books. So there's one about mushrooms. There's one about birds. There's Mm -hmm. one about plants. There's a whole bunch of them. So Tate is still helping her, even though she's not ready to trust him. And they still don't even really have a friendship, Mm -mm. but they have an acquaintance. Yeah. So Jody, her older brother who she was the closest with, comes back when Kaya is 22 and says that he had joined the military and he had wanted to come back, but he was just so embarrassed and he didn't know if Kaya was okay and blah, blah, blah. A whole bunch of bullshit, honestly, because you knew Mm -hmm. that you left your little sister with your abusive father. But okay. So Jody also tells Kaya what happened with their mother, that she had a mental breakdown when she left. She basically refused to speak to anybody. She was heavily medicated. Her parents didn't know what to do with her. And she lived a horrible, empty life. At one point, she wrote to their father saying that she wanted to come and get the kids to come and live with her. And he told her that if he did, he would kill the kids. Yeah or some ridiculous threat or beat them to yeah there was it was some terrible horrendous it was answer exactly it was something typical of this disgusting man and so basically she just lived half of an existence and then she died from leukemia yeah and this does a little bit to make not make kaya feel better And not even necessarily to make her understand because she still doesn't understand why her mom didn't come back. Mm -hmm. But at least it helps her understand where she went and understand that it it wasn't that she didn't want her kids. It was that she couldn't figure out a way to have them. Yeah. Especially, how could you blame her in a sense? Because especially if she's going through like this mental situation and she's being beaten by her husband consistently she was came from a family of wealth and is now living in poverty that's got to be a total mind fuck you know she's Mm -hmm. just she because the husband had promised her all these things and then his family ended up getting like bankrupted or or whatever it was Mm -hmm. so she's her entire life changed and she definitely loved her children you can tell she loved her children especially through like her art and everything but she just couldn't handle it it was just yeah it was too much for her yeah and adding on that mental health element makes it definitely more understandable Mm -hmm. and like you said the dad completely 
He impressed her when they first met. He showed her all these shiny things and said this amazing mm-hmm. life that they were going to have and led her all these false under false pretenses. And then they end up living in a shack next to the swamp. And, you know, she does her best to try to make it a home and to try, mm-hmm. you know, she cooks for the family and she they spend all this quality time together. But then she buys Easter eggs for them to die and chase and gets the shit beaten out of her because Mm -hmm. she spent the money on eggs and it's like so of course she's struggling i mean i don't think it's fair to leave your children who you knew were also being abused because this isn't a situation of he was only hurting her and not the children Mm -hmm. but you know when when it's framed like she was actually going to try and get help and then she just kind of is trapped and she can't come back and it, it sucks that we never get that closure with the mom because she died i was kind of hoping for something more than what was given yeah even like a letter or something that she had written to them you know but at least they did have the paintings so they found all of these paintings that the mom had done basically while she had like shut herself in her room she was still doing her art she had paintings of the children and you know that type of stuff so we do get that but then you also kind of wonder like how would that conversation have gone anyway and would mm-hmm. it have been satisfying mm-hmm. who knows so meanwhile in present time aka 1969 chase's body is found in the swamp below the fire tower and the cops have no clues there's no fingerprints footprints tire prints Nothing. Just some red fibers and a missing shell necklace. But through rumors, the cops start to suspect the Marsh Girl, a.k.a. Kaya. And the current timeline is so funny because every time they insert like a current police investigation chapter, it's like one page. I know. It's just like (laughs) we talked to one person. Uh-huh. Cool. And then uh-huh. it's like, we got one result back from the lab. Okay, yeah. cool. Back to Kaya being 13 and digging up some muscles. Like, uh-huh. it's so funny. <laughs> so the police try to talk to Kaya, but she evades them because she's been evading truancy officers since yeah, she was 10. <laughs> so, yeah. So she has no problem evading people. And they hear from Jumpin and Tate that her alibi is that she was out of town meeting with her publisher, which at first, at first they don't believe because they can't even fathom Kaya leaving mm-hmm. town at all, which I couldn't either. But her publisher had it all organized. And I guess she went back and forth about it and Tate convinced her that she should go and, you know, see, see somewhere else and meet with this person who took a chance on her and who believed in her and who now has made her very successful. Yes, I mean, very. she starts making money and you know what she does? It doesn't leave that shack. That's I what know. she does. She gets <laughs> she just when like, she says, gives it a makeover. <laughs> she just puts thirty five editions on it. Mm-hmm. She said, "I hired a fix it man. He put in plumbing, electrical, all new appliances. He built Did on an addition. I'm like, so he bought a house on top of your shack. Yeah, is basically. basically what you're saying. Anyway, so they find they get a search warrant. They find the hat in her house." with the red fibers and they get motive from a fisherman who saw kaya and chase together shortly before the murder turns out that that motive is that chase tried to rape kaya in the late summer of 1969 Mm -hmm. and as she was running away from him screaming if you ever come near me again i'm gonna kill you i mean i don't blame Um, her that's that's yeah that's an appropriate reaction exactly So now we're caught up. We're in 1970, and it's her murder trial. Kaya has been arrested and is on trial for Chase's murder. So Kaya is obviously struggling being in the prison cell. She tries to catch glimpses of the marsh outside the window. She's just having a really hard time Mm -hmm. being confined because she's never been confined. Mm -hmm. She's never gone to school. She's never, she's just been running out in the marsh since she was a little girl. So Tate comes to visit her regularly. He brings her books, but she refuses to see him. 
during the trial, Jumpin, Mabel, and Tate sit right behind her in court. And Jumpin and Mabel are taking a big risk since mm-hmm. people of color typically weren't allowed in the front of the courtroom. But luckily, the judge is not a piece of shit. And he's yeah. like, they're staying court, right, there, right there. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, um, what are you talking about? Like, they're they're sitting. They're fine. Um, I actually found the trial pretty interesting to read. I thought that it was going to be boring, but the way that it volleyed back and forth between the defense and the mm-hmm. prosecution, I was into it. Yeah, I agree with that. Because it wasn't like when we see like our true crime yeah. trials and it's like all these scientists or all these experts, it was mostly just witnesses, mm-hmm. fishermen, people from the village, the character witnesses for Kaya, the sheriff who's a bumbling mess. So the trial goes back and forth and every page you're like which way is this gonna go Mm -hmm. because the bias against kaya is so deep within the villagers within the townspeople that it seems like there's absolutely no way that she is going to be acquitted of this Mm -hmm. murder like they made up their mind before they even came in there and then the sheriff starts fucking up his story he He's like, oh, yeah, I guess it could have been like that. That's a good theory. This man says on the stand, it's a good theory. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And the defense attorney goes, that's weird because theories are supposed to happen before you arrest someone. Yeah. So basically, Kaya is acquitted. Mm -hmm. And at first, some of the townspeople pretend to be upset about it. Yeah. And pretend like how could she get away with this and she's gonna pay and blah 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 but they're all second guessing themselves and they're like wait a minute maybe we did have the wrong idea of her maybe we did treat her Mm -hmm. wrongly for no fucking reason Mm -hmm. so everyone pretty much leaves her alone she gets back with tate they live happily ever after they keep adding on to the shack they got more and more rooms i know they got a little (laughs) workshop he it was so cute when mm-hmm. they build a little like science lab. lab for themselves. Yeah, yeah. And Tate in, uh, installs the shelves and mm-hmm. gets her little microscope. And he's still doing his I don't know smart ass person doctoral I job, know. whatever he's doing, working <laughs> in a lab. And then she's just doing all of her stuff, writing her books. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's just awesome. And basically, the rest of their lives together takes place in the marsh yeah and they do see jody and his family but other than that they don't really see other people like they really just have the two of them like refused to go back into civilization after the trial Mm because she felt so wronged by the townspeople Mm -hmm. and tate tries to not tries to convince her but says to her like this could be a clean slate. This could be mm-hmm. a chance for you to show them who you really are. And, you know, I understand why you would hate them. And she flips out and she's like, I never hated anyone. Yeah, which I, never, I liked. Yeah. I liked this good. too. She was like, I never hated anyone. They're the ones who hated me. Yeah. I I wanted to be accepted. Mm-hmm. I, I never did anything to any of these people and they hated me for no reason. Mm-hmm. And it's 100% true. Yep. So at 64, she dies peacefully in her boat just floating through the marsh and tate finds a box of poems as he's cleaning out the shack by a local poet who we hear from quite a few times throughout the book Mm -hmm. kaya recites her poetry all the time named amanda hamilton turns out kaya is amanda hamilton which did you see that little like (laughs) what's the word i'm looking for that little like oh my god when tate when it says in the book tate was like didn't think it was a very good poet didn't yeah. think that Amanda was like a very thought her her work was kind of weak, and I'm like, you're savage. Ouch. Yeah. Well, because he was a huge fan of poetry. Yes. Yeah. So he was reading like real <laughs> poetry, and he's like, yeah, this shit is kind of amateur, but whatever. Which is funny because he thought that Kaya was the most brilliant person on the planet. Like mm-hmm. he knew how smart she was, but he's like, oh, she's not a great poet. So there's a poem about the night. That Kaya killed Chase Andrews. Mm-hmm. Were you expecting this? I don't know. I kept going back and forth in my mind because then part of me was wondering if Tate did something because he knew that Chase assaulted her mm-hmm. and that he wasn't going to stop. So part of me thought it was Tate. And then I was like, maybe it really was just an accident. 
you know, this mm-hmm. dude is a bumbling, you know, because you you get the insinuation when he's attempting to assault Kaya that he's a drunk. So yeah. it's like he could have yeah. just went up to the clock tower or whatever it was and, you know, and fire tower and he just fell, you know. So there was so much, there, there were so many different ways it could have gone. I didn't believe that Kaya had it in her to murder someone. But again, I think you have to remember that this book is all about survival for her. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I agree. I I was thinking it was an accident and that the whole message of the story was that they turned this accident into something sinister mm-hmm. and then they needed someone to blame and they blamed Kaya. Yeah. There was like one part where I'm like, did Jumpin? But Jumpin would never. No, and then I'm like, did Tate? But Tate would never. So yeah, I did not see it coming, but she did what any animal in nature would have done because after he assaulted her and she kicked him in the balls and embarrassed him he was driving past yeah. her house he was, like he was taking her. the boat yeah mm-hmm. like he he was not going to let it go and she knew that and she was living in fear for the first time in her entire life and she knew that he was not going to back down yeah. and he wasn't going to let her go unpunished and not for nothing she grew up with an abusive father and she knows those behaviors and she knows that if they lose even an ounce of that power they're not going to let that go unpunished Mm -hmm. so she was threatened by him she took his ass out i think he deserved it oh yeah and i think she deserved to get away with it i think so too if she ever brought it to the attention of authorities that he attempted to rape her number one they wouldn't care because he's the golden boy of the town and Mm -hmm. we all know how that story goes it's been mm-hmm. written hundreds of times. <laughs> and she's just a girl from the marsh with no credibility. Mm-hmm. And so no matter what, it wouldn't, no matter what she did, there was never going to be an answer for her because it was like you mm-hmm. said, it's a predator prey situation. And this time the prey beat out the predator. Mm-hmm. It's- and they even say during the murder investigation that her motive was that they had been sleeping together mm-hmm. and now he was married to someone else and she's a jilted lover yeah. and so she killed him so of course if she tried to say that she was sexually assaulted they would say that she was making it up because she was jealous mm-hmm. exactly or that and he would say oh no she was mad because i didn't want to sleep with her like it would it just never would have justice never would have been done and i i don't see it as her even though the way that she did murder him she did seek him out and trick him into meeting her mm-hmm. there i don't see it as I still see it as a self-defense type situation. Yeah, and I guess in a sense, we should have seen the foreshadowing because it's consistently woven throughout the book, the female in- insects killing the males after mating Yeah, and stuff like that. You know, she talks about the praying mantis, she talks about the fireflies, like she's consistently mm-hmm. woven throughout the book all these, you should be able to tell what was coming, but you don't catch it yeah. because it's, the book is so nature-esque and it's you're constantly learning things so i think your mind she does a she does a good job in that way of shielding you from actually seeing what's really happening yes and a lot of those parts with the different animals are about power dynamics Mm -hmm. which goes hand in hand with the power dynamics that she's having with chase and tate so it's like you might not see it as foreshadowing because it's actually describing what's going on Mm -hmm. at the same time too Mm -hmm. so it's like that actually is a really complex part of the book. Yeah. So there's a lot of themes in here that we didn't really have a chance to get into, like the segregation that was taking place and how that affected a lot of the story. But I also feel like it wasn't fully committed to by the author. Like it was mentioned, but it wasn't explored. And I don't know if that's a good thing because this is obviously written by a white woman who has been accused of white savioring. Mm -hmm. So I don't think she's the best person to speak on it. But it's just an interesting aspect that was in the book. And I almost feel like the author is trying to convey how accepting they are of people of color, unlike other white people during that time, Yeah, through the relationship that Kaya has with Jumpin' and Mabel and other Black characters throughout the story. But I think it's a stretch. I think, yes, Kaya was misunderstood and mistreated, but it's in no way comparable to what Black people were going through. So it's like... Why even, why introduce it if you're not going to fully introduce it? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I will say, Jump In and Kaya's relationship was probably my favorite in the book. I loved it. And I, I love that 
she wasn't willing to admit that she was reliant on Jumpin' and Mabel, but she was. Mm -hmm. And at one point she says, he's my best friend. Mm-hmm. And like just the concept that she even has a best friend, I know. or even is so when, amazing. I know, and even when he when he dies, and you know, she she obviously this is after her trial, so she cannot go to the funeral. She can't put herself mm-hmm. in a position where she's out in public. But she goes to their house, and you know, Mabel says to to Kaya, you know, you were like his daughter, and she was like, he was mm-hmm. like my pa, and I was like. I I actually started I actually did cry yeah. reading that because their relationship touched me the most in this book. Yeah. And I love the dynamic between Jumpin and Mabel too. Mm-hmm. Like Jumpin is just kind of like, you know, there's this girl and I don't know what to do with her and Mabel's like, get the fuck out of the way. I know yeah. what to do. I got it. Okay. Look, I got this box of clothes. I got I got pads for a period. I've mm-hmm. I've got it covered. But Jumpin is the only constant mm-hmm. in her life. And he helps her. He helps with her alibi. He tells he kind of throws the sheriffs off her off her mm-hmm. scent. He he always makes sure, you know, she comes at times when it's not going to be crowded and she's not going to have to see other people. And there are plenty of people who try to kind of gossip with him about Kaya and he never feeds into that. So I agree. I really like their relationship. And I thought it was in some ways the only thing that kept her going. Yeah. Because Jumpin' was the only person who didn't leave her. I think that if this was a real story, if she didn't have Jumpin' and Mabel, she would not have survived as long as she did 100% 100% and even in the simple way of she would have had no way to make money mm-hmm. but also she would have had no human interaction mm-hmm. at all and that'll just and drive you insane absolutely and she saw their family and how just how loving they were and how supportive they were and even you would see it in some ways like she couldn't go up and hug him because a, a white girl wouldn't go up mm-hmm. and, and hug a black man. Yeah. But they both still knew how much they cared mm-hmm. about each other. And like we said, Jumpin' and Mabel were right there in the courtroom. They did not give a fuck mm-hmm. about the rules. They said, we're going to be here to support her. And they didn't have to do that. Yeah. Because even if they hadn't, she would have known that they were supporting her. You know oh, what I yeah. mean? So, yeah, I, I did think... That relationship could have been explored a lot more, and mm-hmm. they could have left out some of the the other parts, like that random scene when the two white guys try to try to like jump jumping. Yeah. I was like, and they're like throwing rocks at him it, and stuff. That was the weirdest thing. It didn't fit in the book at all. Mm-mm. It made no sense, and it was never talked about again. Like I was waiting for it to come back. Me too. Like I was waiting for like Jumpin to be wrongly accused of something, or like mm-hmm. the, it just never came it back. Was, it was like you said. It was like her trying to show a theme of segregation, but half-assed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was no real complexity to it at all. It was just here. Let me just throw this little scene in real quick, and Kaya like beats them with her whatever it was like a she had some kind of grocery or something. Oh, she had I forget the, what it the was. jam in a bag. Yes, yeah. yeah. And she like she like bops the kid in the back of the head with it you know but it was kind of like yeah i don't get it it was weird yeah yeah i didn't i didn't love that i didn't Mm -mm. think it was necessary Mm -mm. all right so i do have a couple discussion questions for us how does masculinity fit into this story how are the characters of tate chase and pa impacted by the pressures to be a real man and what effect does this have on kaya is this a real this question? This is a perfect one for our podcast. Is this a real fucking question? <laughs> oh my God. All right. I don't find Tate to feed into masculinity at all. I don't think he is that kind of man at all. I think he's a kind-hearted person, you know, because he, he even had a chance when they were kids to not take advantage of Kaya, but take her virginity yes. from her. And he literally yes. was like, no, like, you're too young. Like, I can't do that to you. I'm, you're still so innocent. I don't want to take your purity away yet. Like, we're not ready for that. And any other typical 19 year old boy would be like, gonna do that because I can't, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm full of hormones and I just want to have sex. So Tate is zero just, repercussions. Yeah. And so Tate is very much not that at all. The dad is just a dick and Mm -hmm. clearly is mad that his life didn't turn out how he planned and so his solution is just to drink his life away Mm -hmm. and then you just have chase andrews who is literally the epitome of masculinity (laughs) Mm -hmm. toxic masculinity for sure yes thank you thank you for adding that in there because yes and 
I did not understand why Kaya went for him. It made zero sense to me. Does not fit with her character at all. Mm. Because why would someone who is so secluded from civilization randomly want to connect with the most popular boy in town? Mm -hmm. It was some torrid love affair that actually made no sense to me in this book, and I disliked it very much. Then you also have to think... Obviously, she knew Chase was popular. She always saw him around yeah. groups of people. But did she know the full extent of his reputation in the town? Yeah. I kind of saw it as she missed Tate so much. And like you said, he was really playing the long game. So he... Yes. He tricked her. He tricked which, her. I mean, she didn't like, know any better. And that was so disgusting in itself that mm -hmm. he was leading this poor girl on and basically as soon as he got what he wanted you know i mean he still stuck around i mean i will i will say mm -hmm. that like he still slept with her and had like this relationship with her but every time kaya would ask like when am i gonna meet your friends when am i gonna meet your mom mm -hmm. because chase was filling her head with thoughts of marriage and that you're gonna be a part of my life you're you're just not ready for it yet mm -hmm. and all this like spewing and that's the bullshit thing. he is the one who brought it up and kaya says that she's like you're mm -hmm. the one who brought up marriage you're the one who brought up a future i didn't bring that up mm -hmm. i only thought that it was a possibility because you brought it up in the first place yeah so he was literally just telling her what she wanted to hear so that he could continue getting what he wanted from her mm -hmm. yeah obviously chase thinks that by having a dick it means that he oh, can yeah. do literally anything he wants and that's exactly the same as p her father was and it was so Oh my god, it was so horrendous, the scene when he does try to attempt to sex sexually assault her, and his reasoning for do it is because you're mine. It's like, what? What do you Ugh. mean? Like, what the fuck do you Ugh. mean? Like, he has this this thought process that whatever he conquered is now officially his and it can't be anybody else's, or it's mm -hmm. always his to come back to. Mm -hmm. It's like It's like she's imprisoned, and whenever he wants it, he can get it. And you also have to think, what were his relationships like with these other women too? Like people that he couldn't take advantage of as easily as Kaya, but who still probably were not necessarily happy, but convinced themselves they were because they were with the most popular guy. And mm -hmm. not for nothing, this man is like 29 years old or something. And they're like, yeah, but remember, he was the, the star quarterback in high school. I'm like, this is such a typical <laughs> town where like you peaked in high school. Mm -hmm. Now you're gross. Now yep. you're an alcoholic. You're stepping out on your wife every day. Like, mm -hmm. disgusting. Yeah. But as far as Tate, like you said, I don't think that he has this toxic masculinity part at mm -hmm. all. His I really loved the very few conversations we got between him and his father yeah. because his dad taught him that it's okay to have emotions. And he said specifically, a real man cries, mm -hmm. is affected by poetry, and it's really beautiful because Tate's dad is a fisherman by trade. So it's not the guy you would normally think yeah, of to have this outlook. Person to, because he's, he's rough yeah. around the edges, you know, so you don't really, you don't really expect that at all. Yeah. And then that's what he's so concerned with teaching his son, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how did you feel about Kaya at the beginning of the book? And how did this change over the course of the book? Did you see her as a victim? And do you think the last revelation fits in with her character? I do think the la the ending of the book does fit with her character in the sense that I already discussed that she mm -hmm. it was just survival. It was she it was all she knew. All she knows is how to survive. And she was very as she grew, she figured out the ways to survive. And and she figured out the ways to survive fairly quickly, even even as a young kid, like she would figure it out. And so I'm not surprised. It was definitely I definitely didn't the way that they wrote her during the trial, I didn't believe that she did it because she was yeah. so like downtrodden and she just it was very depressing. And so you felt for her and you felt like she was wrongly convicted. Mm -hmm. But then but then there's also like no resolution of him before like you find out what happened there's that little thing where they try to make it seem like the cops were arresting tate but really like his dad died and so like yeah she was, and they kind of throw that little like you know oh maybe maybe kaya thinks oh i wonder i hope that they're not going after him for chase's murder or something which mm -hmm. is also a random scene that i didn't really get but whatever yeah 
So I'm not surprised that it was her. And I definitely think that she's still this the same she's still the same person at 22 that she was at 10 like Mm -hmm. she's never as a kaya being kaya has never changed she's always been the same girl she's just growing Mm -hmm. i definitely agree i think you see her growing Mm -hmm. not changing but maturing in some ways not maturing in Mm -hmm. other ways like we said, a lot of her feelings are just instinctual mm-hmm. and not necessarily something that she learned from being around other people. I definitely see her as a victim of circumstance. Yes. Obviously, of being used, taken advantage of, not to mention sexually assaulted, abandoned. But just because she was victimized doesn't mean that she didn't beat all the odds stacked against her and she came out stronger for it. So it's like, yes, she was a victim, but that was not her personality. No. That was just something that happened to her. Yeah. And as horrible as all of those things that happened to her, that she was left by every member of her family, that she was betrayed by the two men that she trusted, the fact that all of that happened and she still, in the end finds a way to trust Tate again. She finds a way to live happily ever after. She finds a way to to have the future exactly as she wanted it, mm-hmm. but with a companion who mm-hmm. also valued the things that she valued. And, you know, she still never did any speaking engagements for her books. She didn't travel. She didn't really do all these things, but mm-hmm. she still was so successful basically it's just like she didn't have to give up anything that she didn't want everything was on her terms yeah and it doesn't always work out that way Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like that was a nice payoff for the really shitty upbringing that she had Mm -hmm. yep okay so our rating scale today is bird feathers oh i did like that a lot that was cute i know And it was funny that at first she thought that it was a stalker slash a predator who wanted to hurt her. And it's just Tate. I know. Just leaving bird feathers, (laughs) leaving books. So how many bird feathers are you giving where the crawdads sing? It's so hard for me because I didn't get the hype of this book at all. I went into it because we were probably the last two humans on this planet to read this book, considering it has 2.7 million reviews. <laughs> yes. I was thinking it was going and it was so it was so big. They made the movie. People told me I had to read this book and I was like, "Okay, like I'll get to it. I'll get to it." And then I got to it and I was disappointed. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I don't think some of it was there was a lot of out of character moments that happened. It didn't seem realistic in some points. And so mm-hmm. I think realistically, I have to give it three bird feathers. Okay. I think it's very apparent that it is this author's first fiction novel because mm-hmm. of those inconsistencies yeah. in character development. I agree with you. I wonder why this book took off so widely i mean obviously when you have reese witherspoon backing it, you got that's what it is Mm -hmm. you got taylor swift writing an original song for Mm. the movie i I mean i enjoyed it the first hundred pages i hated it i couldn't get used to the writing but then once once you get into the flow of it i enjoyed it i wouldn't call it one of my favorite reads of the year um it obviously has that extra buzz with the murder controversy and all mm-hmm. of that. That being said, as you grow with Kaya and as she starts to mature and develop, I definitely start to enjoy it mm-hmm. more. The relationships that we talked about, like with Jump In and with, you know, Tate and his dad, stuff like that, I really enjoyed those. Uh, I agree with you. Some of the character, out of character moments kind of like threw it off for mm-hmm. me because you couldn't really. Besides Kaya, you couldn't really feel like you knew any of the other characters fully. It was like they were a little too unpredictable. But after discussing it, looking back on it, I am happy I read it because we are the last two people on the planet. And I think my rating is going to be three and a half bird feathers. That's fine. So overall, not our favorite. But I am happy we read it. I am too. And I actually, to bounce back to what you just said, I agree. When I started reading this book, my first thought was, I was just like, huh? I was like, I don't get the slang, you know, the Southern Uh slang and the way that was written. I was kind of perplexed 
in a sense. And then I agree, as the more I read it, the more I got used to the language and and the way of the author was writing. But it's so different from what we normally read. So I had to, like, Mm -hmm. you know, put myself back in that. I had to, like, stop thinking about what I know and just enjoy where where I'm at with the book. So I I agree with that, that starting. Yeah, it's like the first it is. It's kind of like it's not that it's boring in a sense, but it's very informative. And I actually saw someone had wrote this review. I was reading some reviews and someone had said that the continuous explanation of nature kind of pulled you away from the the book in itself because yeah. it was kind of and I understand like she's very a very smart woman. This is like what she does for a living. So it's almost kind of like it was it teetered on the line of fiction and an educational novel. Yeah. So you're not really able, I think, to fully immerse yourself because you're like, oh, okay, well, now I got to think about the scenery and I'm learning all this stuff. But then, oh, there's this, there's this thing happening. So I think it was just kind mm-hmm. of inconsistent in that way, too. And then it didn't really mesh as well together as I would have hoped it would. Well, also, I think that about half of that, all of that nature detail stuff was necessary and half wasn't. Like mm-hmm. we talked about the relationships between like the female and male insects and animals. Perfect. That I think was necessary. Mm-hmm. Needed it for the foreshadowing, for the relationships, her relationships with the gulls that she fed every day when she was in jail. She was worried mm-hmm. that no one was feeding the gulls. Like those things I thought were all necessary. Do I think it was necessary to talk about all the different bird feathers and the birds that they came from and where the birds originated and all of that stuff. No, I mean, it definitely was to kind of solidify how knowledgeable she was about Mm -hmm. everything. But I agree, it it did take you out of the book. And this book could have been 100 pages shorter. Yes, 200 pages shorter, maybe, (laughs) because the first 100 pages at the beginning, also, like we talked about when it was jumping back and forth to the investigation. And the investigation was like one page. And I was like, this is so stupid. But then once you realize that it's because they have nothing to go on. Mm-hmm. And once you realize who Chase is, it kind of starts to come together. Yeah. But the first hundred pages, I was like, I don't even care about this person. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't care that he's dead. I know. Like, I mean, I still don't care that he's dead. But yeah, I know. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> yeah. So I think if you look at it as like the first fiction novel, it's really not bad. But the the hype is the, the yeah. thing that's baffling. I agree. All right. So I think we covered it all. I hope that I, I want to hear people's opinions on this. If you've read this book and you agree or disagree, please reach out to us because <laughs> I need to know if you read it before the hype. I know. After, mm-hmm. during, like I need to know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's all we have for you today. If you like what you heard, please make sure to follow, subscribe, and rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you're using. If you have any book recommendations or questions for us, you can email us at fullybookedcalfpod at gmail.com. Also, be sure to follow us on socials, TikTok, and Instagram at fullybookedcalfpod to see our upcoming reads. Thanks for checking us out. And remember, if you need us, we're fully booked. Bye. Bye.